White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made him 100 years ago with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232. Welcome back to the Razball Prospect Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Lifshitz. As always, I'm here with my co-host, Lance Brozdowski. How's it going, Lance? Or Lance Broshitz, as you were called by uh, by uh, Donkey Teeth on this recent uh, <laughs> podcast that I recorded with someone else. Does that make you jealous that I was I was podcasting with somebody else, Lance? <laughs> no, I don't mind that you're cheating on me. I, I, I'm interested, though. I think that it's funny people now think, I guess the some reason my last name is actually Broshitz when it's not. It's, it's Brozdowski, but uh, but I'll take Broshitz. That's a little different on the brand. He cuts out a syllable in the last name. I, we'll see. We'll see how it catches. I don't know. I might have to, might have yeah. to redo my name. It's like it's like our married name. It's yeah, like exactly. it's like Benifer or I can like one it. of those situations. Yeah. You know, anytime anytime is like a real power couple, like you know, it's like two great things coming together. Yes. They always have to put them together. Though I suppose Benifer being like Ben Affleck being half of it, that's not that's not very great. Like <laughs> true, I, true. I would never say that like Ben Affleck was great or like that Ben Affleck needed to be maybe great again. Um, you know, I d I wouldn't I wouldn't never say anything like that. I mean, Lance, do you have any takes on Ben Affleck? Uh, I don't know. I, I liked, I think he directed like the town, right? That was a pretty good movie. I enjoyed that one. And he's directed some others. Um, I can't say I'm good on actor names. I've been trying to get into the Oscars a little bit, Ralph. So I've been watching a couple of those movies. I think I'm about three or four down already. 
So, uh, but I can't say I know like actors and actresses well. So I guess I'm just an uncultured millennial. Like I think we get touted as a lot. So apologies yeah. to everyone. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I don't, I don't really know actors or actresses either. I feel like there's, there's oftentimes I'm, I'm reading Gray's articles and I actually have to like, like highlight yes. and like, like right click be like, there are things that go over my who, head. Who are you talking about? <laughs> oh, and then I'll be like, oh, wow. She was really hot in the seventies. Now I know what Gray's talking about. Nice. <laughs> So I think I just indirectly called Gray old. Well, I think I so. was just about to segue to that, but I'm going to hold off. <laughs> but Ralph, you went to Vegas. I think you talked about this briefly on the the actual podcast with Gray. But feel free to freshen it up. The story, bring change, whatever you want. You know, give us the spiel. You were in Vegas, and I don't think it was too exciting. We were talking a little bit pre-show, and it didn't sound like you you gambled away uh, your 401k or anything like that. So I'm I'm happy to hear that you're still in one piece and. And that you didn't end up like the movie Hangover, et cetera. But uh, let, let's hear it, man. Give me the story. Yeah, I know. It, uh, it's not all that exciting. Uh, I flew out on Friday night. It took me uh, over six hours to get there, which is, like I said, is the longest flight I've ever had to the West Coast. It was interesting. But, you know, whatever. You know, fine flight. The plane landed. Took off and it landed. So I can't really complain about the, about the flight too much, right? Um, but I landed late. I had never used, this is going to sound really old, but I had never used like Uber or Lyft before just because I had been out of the city and I just drive everywhere, even into cities. Like, I don't care. I'm fearless behind the wheel. I'll drive, <laughs> <laughs> I'll drive anywhere. Um, I think it's, I think it's from years of being a salesman on the road that that's what it happens to you. You're just like not shook of anything. Um, but either way, so I got into Vegas and it's, it's nine 30 Vegas time. And, and that's obviously 1230 East coast time. By the time I get, I get a lift and I get to Mandalay Bay, I, uh, oh, <laughs> it's, it's 10 o'clock, you know, or, or, you know, 10, 15. So it's getting later and later. It's like one fifteen my time. Now here's the kicker of the story. I'm staying at the Mandalay Bay and obviously, um, you know, not to make light of the situation, uh, that was obviously awful, but I have a case with me that is for trade show banners and it, uh, it, it looks like a rifle case. And I am a, uh, I am a middle-aged man. <laughs> and so <laughs> I have to walk into the Mandalay Bay with this case. So I feel awkward about this. And I have been like telling my wife, I'm like, this is just bad. This looks awful. People are going to be staring at me as I'm walking here on a Friday night. So first off, I walk in and second, no, nobody looks at me. Nobody even like patted me down. No issues, nothing. That they probably see trade show banner cases all the time like this, but maybe, maybe not. Who knows? It's Vegas, whatever. So I get to the line. Now this thing also weighs like 40 pounds. So nobody says anything. I'm in this line that probably has like 40 people deep because it's Friday night in Vegas. We check in. No big deal. Everyone's wonderful. Everyone's super nice. Go through everything. Get onto the elevator. I'm on there. I'm on there with this couple. And uh, <laughs> the, the woman looks at me. And, and, you, and you could tell she's a little bit like freaked out looking at this case. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, what's, what's in the case? And I was like, Oh, I'm like, Oh, it's, it's trade show banners. I was like, yeah, I'm like, I know, believe me. <laughs> I was like, super. I was like, I, I was no, I'm shocked. No one said anything. Everybody like blah, blah, blah. And then her husband, like, obviously like, you know, three sheets to the wind is like, I thought it was a rifle. <laughs> <laughs> so oh like, my, oh God. my God. You're just like, I just want to go to bed now. <laughs> yes. Yes. I just want to get this up to the room. So I get it up to the room. I put it down. I figure it's, it's 1045 in Vegas. I have to go out. I have to at least walk around. So I walked down, I walked around the casino for like a half hour. I didn't do anything. I went up, I went to bed. I woke up the next morning at 6am because I'm on East coast time. And, uh, 
I, I went to the gym and I worked out for like an hour and a half. And then I ate breakfast. <laughs> Jeez. It's the most unexciting myself. Vegas story ever. Yeah, I know. I was by myself because my, my boss has like a pinched nerve and it, it messed up his back and then his knee. And the guy, like the guy literally was on crutches when I, when I left. So, oh, so I was there for a couple of days, did this presentation, all this other stuff I had to do. I flew back on Monday and, uh, this is great. So I had been invited while I'm on the plane on, on Monday to do a couple of uh, mock drafts with uh, Scott White and the CVS guys. So one of them was a prospect mock. So I was, I was obviously excited to do this. So I'm, I'm all prepared for it. It's 1.30. It starts at 2 o'clock on Tuesday. It's my first day back in the office since I've flown back from this, this trade show that I did over the weekend. So I, uh, I get a call from my boss at 1.40, okay? This is the guy that can't walk the pinch of snow. He's like, hey, I, uh, I left this easel at, uh, at the office, and uh, I need you to bring it to me right now. You, know, you, you can just take off for the rest of the day after, but don't worry about it, whatever. But uh, is there any chance that you can you could bring this to me, man? Uh, my wife needs it for a presentation. So I just totally space on the fact that I have this mock draft. I grab this easel. I take it to my boss. I, I drive home. By the time I get home, I realize what's going on. It's 2.35. It's 35 minutes in, and I log on to the draft, and I had the first pick. So you would figure <laughs> that I got Ronald Acuna, right? Oh, no. Well, Who's he get? Scott White was drafted, I, I guess, from my, from my top 100 rankings. Well, Acuna is number one, but I guess he saw there was an, a comment back in October. This is before Otani signed, before we knew about the elbow issue, and I said I would have ranked Otani over Acuna. So he took Otani for me. Oh. All right. Oh. I mean, I'm not as disappointed as some. I know that there's some that have Acuna light light years ahead of Otani and vice versa. But I, I almost feel to some extent that number one Otani's not even a prospect. Is and I know this is another whole other yeah, debate that you can get into. So whatever. Yeah, but I like Otani a lot. I don't. I don't know the comp. I don't think you got screwed over too too much. But I could see why you wanted Acuna there. But uh, well, I mean, the, the fix is just take Otani off the board. But. I understand. First year player draft, whatever. Um, I, all I'm saying is I'm I'm blaming my boss not only for not getting Ronald Acuna, but also for an awful weekend in Vegas. So, <laughs> however he pinched his nerve, um, <laughs> I'm not too happy with him. All right. I feel like there's a joke here I have to make around the easel, but I can't think of anything. So I'm just gonna <laughs> let it pass. Like there's got to be something around an easel. I don't know. Is there anyone like Damian Easley or something? I don't know. Something like that. I feel like that's gonna come out, but. Uh, that was, that was back into the well there for some early 2000s players. But, uh, oof, oof, yeah, <laughs> you were really digging there. Yeah. I, man, yeah, Jesus. I'm also digging for uh, for Kyle Tucker in some drafts. We're talking about the Astros today. This Woo. is an interesting list. Uh, we're devoting a whole show to it. It is a little bit top-heavy. The Astros' rebuild as a whole has, has gone along the path. I think a lot of teams that are trying to contend right now probably should align where they – trade off some of their prospects, you know, guys like Jason Martin and Colin Moran to the Pirates for Garrett Cole, who slots in beautifully to their rotation. But you end up at the end of the day with a top-heavy system, in my opinion, where you have Kyle Tucker, Forrest Whitley, Jordan Alvarez, then you get into Bukaskis and Rogelio Armenteros. Ooh, I think I got that right. I'm pretty proud of myself. David Paulino we've seen at the big league level. And then you really get into some, some Latin American players who are really, really raw and really, really young, and most of it is projection. Freudus Nova, Gilberto Celestino, and Jario Solis, or Jario Solis, and Hector Perez, etc., Cianel Perez, a lot of Perez's here, and it's an interesting list. I'm excited to dig into this, but um, I have to start at the top with Kyle Tucker. Uh, do you remember where Kyle Tucker went in that draft, Ralph, of yours? Um, was that a first-year player draft or was it a prospect draft? That was a prospect draft, and to be honest with you, I don't know 
where he went in that draft. I could tell you where he went in the uh, baseball prospectus draft if you're if you're interested in that because oh, I do I have that, that handy. Yeah. I didn't I didn't track the CBS one because I showed up five rounds into it, sure. so I kind of figured that. Uh, not on purpose. I just, <laughs> I had to explain. Sorry, Scott. White, if you invite me back, it, it's, it's all about the easel on that <laughs> all one. About the easel. Uh, Tucker went tw- uh, 12th overall to uh, DJ short in okay. the, uh, the baseball prospectus draft. So uh, a little bit later than I would have taken him, but uh good pick nonetheless. Yeah. I think, I think I've seen him slot in between that seven and 12 ish 13 window for most lists i've seen come out i think mm. he's right in there for me as well um, i think i have him right at 10 um i could see the case for him going a little bit early i could see the case going for him going a little bit later if you don't really like the funky swing but that is the number one thing about him that stands out to me ralph is is the kind of what i'm calling almost an old school swing it's interesting yes. he's got a bit of a stretch yes. stretch motion with it where when he comes to the lefty, so when he comes back into his load his hands actually go the opposite direction to where you kind of see his weight start to shift but the, the reason it looks weird is if you ever watch tape, it's a kind of awkward swing. And the reason it's awkward is because when he gets full extension into that load, the bat flattens out and he comes through the zone very, very linear. And it's that's what makes it look awkward. Like if he didn't flatten his bat out when he was full out on his hands with his stretch on his when his hands go back into his load, I don't think many people would really knock it too much. But the thing is, like, it's still a funky swing. I was down actually in um, Orlando for the winter meetings and I ran into a former scout for the Astros, and obviously I brought up some of the prospects, and the guy I obviously wanted to hear his thoughts on was Kyle Tucker, and the, the thing I asked him was, do, when do they start to make him adjust even more than they have? And he basically said to me that they won't touch him until he struggles at the major league level, which is interesting to me, because he's been relatively successful everywhere he's gone, but I don't know, number one, if that is an f- absolute fact from him. I don't know how much insight he had into what exactly the development process was going to be for Tucker, but I found what he said pretty interesting, just because you know, you hear a lot of the time just let guys who have a kink in their delivery or a funky aspect of their swing that are this good and this elite, just don't touch them. You know, you let them figure it out. You let them get to the point where they struggle. Then you turn around and go, hey, you need to change this. You need to change this. But even with that said, Ralph, I looked back at some of the tape of him from the perfect game. I think it was back in probably 2015, 2014. I can't say off the top of my head whether I know which game it was, but it was when they had a blue and red jerseys stood out a lot in, out in San Diego. But I look back to that game, and his swing is substantially different from them, and it's, it's much better now than it was. When you look at it back in the day, it was, I'd almost say, borderline ugly. There was a lot more movement. The back came out perpendicular to the ground. It was, it was a kind of a hand pump motion and he's he's changed that a little bit he starts his hands back he doesn't come out too far with his hands um when he goes into his load it's 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 better than it was but i i get that some people still don't think it's that good or it won't translate to too too much power at the major level which i generally disagree with and i mean i'm talking him down a little bit here but i have him 10 overall it's an elite prospect to me i really like his line drive rate in the minor leagues the bat path is conducive to some insane power i think that he's going to end up being a like deep gap power is what i'm going to call it i don't know how much he's going to turn into a light tower kind of power guy like gallo etc but Really level swing. The line drive rate's insane. I, I like him overall. I don't really know how much else I have to say, Ralph. We could go through kind of your thoughts on him. I'm interested if you have um, any questions on him or a, whether you kind of question certain aspects of him overall as a player. But uh, give me your thoughts, Ralph. Yeah, well, I wanted to uh, discuss his swing a little bit more. Sure. And uh, it's funny. I had written down some notes, and the top words that I had were flat bat, yeah. old school style swing. Yeah. Um, and, and it's them. funny. I didn't even see your notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you didn't even see my notes. Uh, but but I think it's 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 true because you, when you watch it, it is very sort of old school. The way like his whole weight transfer is, 
And especially when he makes contact and the ball sort of jumps off his bat, it's almost surprising, but he whips the bat. I mean, like he's got very good bat speed. And I think that's one of the reasons he's, he will hit for power. I don't think he's, like you said, not light tower power. This isn't like a 35 homer guy, but I do think he probably has the ability to get to 30 at maturity. I think he can add some, some bulk onto his frame. Uh, you know, six, four, he's a big athletic kid, um, runs pretty well as well. Uh, I like him overall. I think he, you know, he will, he will swing and miss from time to time. I think it's just going to come with it. And, uh, he will take some serious like cuts, like some serious uppercut strokes mm. at a pitch. If he thinks he can get all of it. If you see some of like his home run highlights, there's a lot of balls that he just gets completely under and just mashes them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, overall, I really like Kyle Tucker. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a funny looking swing for sure. Cause it's just, um, yeah, there's just, uh, it, it, it's almost like so fluid. It if is. You know it what is I mean. fluid. At the end of it's the day, like it is golf fluid. Swing. Yeah, that's a good point because he, he falls through with two hands. You know, that's one thing that stands out too. It's, mm-hmm. It looks more rigid than it is. I think that's the biggest thing. It's like when you watch him over and over, you start to see how fluid it is. It's, it's a very, very consistent playing with his bat. It's not a heavy uppercut. But, I yeah. mean, I remember the last Futures game, they started tracking some exit velo data, I believe, or... It might have no. It might have been uh, swing speed data, and I remember Reese Hoskins was at the top yep. of it. No, I don't remember how much Kyle Tucker actually had bad on ball contact in that game, particularly. But I feel like he's going to be one of those guys who is going to possess a high Babbitt because he's hitting so many line drives, because he's hitting them so so hard, and he's keeping them on that plane. And I, as you're saying, I agree. He's got unbelievable bat speed, and with the path of his swing, it's just going to be. Like, he's going to hit some rockets. It's basically, yeah. I don't want to comp it to, like, Giancarlo Stanton line drives because it's a completely different kind of hitter. But the bat path as a whole is relatively similar. It's from the left side. It's very different, et cetera. But yeah. the line drives you see from Stanton, they get more height. But the ones that he levels out and just puts over into center field, that is what I feel you're going to see a lot of Tucker doing. And I don't know on his pull date. I don't think he's too, too heavy to his pull side. So... Let me see. So AAA last year, he was right around 50%. So that is a little bit high. I'd probably like to see him go the other way a little bit more. Um, but especially if you're spraying line drives everywhere. If you're going to go the other way, you want to hit a line drive. Even though most of the time, people mm. pop up to, if you're a lefty, to, to left field. So Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's there's really nothing to knock with him. It's a matter of like personal preferences of whether you like this funky swing or you like a little bit more, you know, floor of a guy like Nixon Zell around the same area. Or if you, I mean, I have Eloy and, and Vladdy Jr. and those guys in a, in a tier above, in my opinion. I think that, that you kind of have that top four-ish with Acuna, Vladdy, Eloy, et cetera, uh, those guys. But um, but Tucker's in there. He's right in that same window. I think he's going to be a, a solid, regular major league outfielder. I think he's got a pretty nice floor, too, because I think he makes enough contact. I, I know we were kind of just saying that the strikeout rate's lingering, but I mean... It's it's not a massive issue to me. Twenty percent double A in three hundred and eighteen plate appearances. He's he's non zero on the base pass too. I know he gets caught a lot, it's not too efficient, but he could be kind of Chris Bryant style where he steals six or seven out of nowhere and gets you some value there. But on the fantasy side of things, again, this is it's it's elite talent. If you're trying to rebuild and, and you don't want to wait too too long for that rebuild to occur and you and you want to ship out for the guy like this, Kyle Tucker's twenty one. Um he just turned twenty one and I mean I like him. I, I can't really knock him too, too much. I like him overall. And at the end of the day, I think that's the biggest thing is that I don't hear too much hate around him. If anything, it's just taking him down a spot because you're not sure what happens to that swing. But uh, do you have anything else to say on Tucker, Ralph? No, no. I uh, I think we've pretty much covered as much about Tucker as we possibly could. <laughs> yeah. But uh, great, yeah, I think, this, you know, this this kid is definitely a, a top talent. Um, Absolutely. 
you know, I think, I think he might be able to steal a few more bags uh, in the major leagues. It just depends upon how efficient he stays, but I think he's athletic enough and mm-hmm. he'll probably stay lean enough that uh, there's probably a good shot at it. But yeah, I don't know. You might be right. You might, he may see, you may see those steal attempts taper off, especially if he, if he grows into more power. So um, yeah, I don't know. Let's talk yeah. about Forrest Whitley, right? Whitley, yeah. He's <laughs> no, so Whitley is a guy that basically so I want to bring up I want to bring up actually I've kind of meant to talk about this pre-show, but I'm gonna jump off this list for like two seconds. What do you think about Nate Pearson? This is a guy who, from my understanding, Blue Jays pitcher, who basically has been hyped up a ton in the offseason, hasn't thrown a pitch, and I've seen him run through like a bunch of top one hundred lists, and he's up there and he's going really high in first year player drafts, and he hasn't like, there's nothing that has happened in the offseason, and that's the most interesting thing to me. I've heard a lot of people praising this kid, and he's got electric stuff, but yeah. it might just be more of a saturation thing where his name has come up, you know? And I want to relate this back to Wheatley to some extent because Wheatley performs substantially better. He's a much different pitcher, but to some extent, I see some parallels between, you know, the guys just kind of coming out of nowhere because Wheatley wasn't... Wheatley was a good prospect. I think he was in the middle of this Astro system for a bit, but he wasn't like a Mitch Keller, a Kopech, where perennially top 25, it was just a matter of what he's putting it together. And Whitley comes out, and it's just unbelievable command for his size, etc. But Pearson is a guy that just, the, the hype is just unbelievable around. And I like him too, but I just think it's funny. Like, he hasn't done anything in the last six months, and all we hear about is, is I've heard Nate Pearson's name on Twitter and everywhere so much that I don't know if you see the same parallel as I do, Ralph, but I just think I, I find it funny just just because of the the influence in the industry around you know a lot of the people who who are really well respected on other sites who maybe say they like a player and then everyone else picks up on that player and it starts to you know stumble into everyone touting them and everyone going oh should I take them top ten in first year player drafts and it's like I, it's it's funny to me I, I love a just consumer behavior around prospects so what are your thoughts am I just kind of rambling here or what do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, well, I do think that you're, you're maybe selling uh, Whitley's uh, prospect status short. He was the 17th overall pick in the 2016 fair, draft. Fair. So, mm-hmm. I mean, this first full season of pro ball, and he made it into double A. So, Good point. you know, I think there is, uh, but he wasn't the most hyped up arm in the draft for sure. But, you know, I think we, we should have known. We just didn't know how good his control was. Yeah. The fact that he is six seven you know, 240, 240. 250. Um, and he's as athletic as he is. He repeats his delivery as well as he does. Um, he's got very strong, deliberate mechanisms in, in his motion. You know what I mean? Like, like he throws like a power pitcher to me. Like when you watch him, he's a big dominant righty, you know, um, just overhand delivery. There's, there's sort of, you know, nothing there that isn't sort of prototypical. Now I think the parallel with, with Pearson is, Pearson's a big stuff guy. I think there's some questions about control. Sure. He's a bigger guy. He's about six, six. So there's a, par- a parallel there. Um, but he's a, a Juco guy. So I think he yeah. might actually be older than, than Whitley by a year or at least a few months or thereabouts. They're pretty, they're pretty close in age. I'd have to look. Cause I know that, that Whitley just turned 20 in September. So, uh, yeah, there's some parallel and big stuff, big stuff with, I mean, you know, Pearson can get the fastball up to triple digits. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, I've heard that the off-speed stuff is pretty good. I haven't seen it firsthand. I've read it. I know I've put it into reports, but it's you know sometimes that stuff is is what I have available a bunch of across a, a bunch of different reports. Um, I like Pearson. I've taken him in a couple of drafts, but I take him about twenty. I don't take him in the top ten. 
Yeah, and that's where I feel like he's kind of trending. And I don't, I don't mean to talk about Pearson too, too much here. As well, I do want to. We'll I mean, have a Blue Jay show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's yeah, going to be a fun show with Bichette and those guys. But, but I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, Whitley, I, I love Whitley. I really, really like his stuff. I like everything he does. I have a thing for larger, taller pitchers who can control the zone as well as Whitley does. He's six seven, as you mentioned. He's two forty. I've heard some interesting things around whether he actually is two forty, but. When you see him, I, all right, I'm going to go with an aesthetic comp here that is off of baseball, but do you know all those old movies where, you know, they have the guy in the trench coat and, or like they have kids in trench coats and they have like one kid that's the legs and the one kid sits on the top of the other kid's shoulders and they have the trench coat on so it looks like one person. Like that's what Forrest Whitley <laughs> looks like to me if you see him on the mound because he's a younger looking guy. He's still got like a baby face, which means that I wouldn't be shocked if he gets up to like 250, 260, 265 at 67. He's a really big kid. He is massive and his control is unbelievable as you say. It's due in part to the fact that he can repeat his mechanics pretty well. And that's a, that's why he's this well-touted. You know, the fastball isn't 70-plus grade that we've seen in some other guys, but the thing that Whitley stands out to on me is the fact that he has three other pitches, and each of those pitches he can throw and he can command, and that's just unbelievable to me. Like, his curveball in that overhand slide, as you mentioned, Ralph, is, is absolutely devastating. The slider's, I think, 85 to 88-ish. Almost looks like a bit of a cutter, and he mixes it up well. Um, I could be wrong on the velo on the slider. I'd like to check that. And the changeup's decent, too. So you're looking yep. at a kid this young, this big, with good control, with a couple pitches that he's shown at every level he's gone to. He made it up to double-A. It's just you have a lining of so many things here, and it's I, I'd be stunned if anyone has him outside their top 25 because of everything we've seen, everything he's done, everything he could be. It's just this is absolute... This is just this is the top arm I think going into next year's top 100s. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that right now because I think Kopech grab, graduates. We're probably gonna see a little bit of him this year. And yeah. at the end of the day, you're looking at Whitley in the top, especially if he can do even a portion of what he did. So the only thing on the knock side, Ralph, is like for me, he hasn't thrown too too many innings, and this is understandable because he's I think he's a prep arm. Um, he's his innings limit kind of coming into this year is where. I'm a little bit interested to see what they do with him because I don't think he makes it up to the major leagues. I think he threw around 90 last year. I could see him jump up to about 120, probably stay in AA most of the year, pitched a little bit in AAA. But I I don't see too much reason. I think he might get some buzz around, oh, September call-up. Does he slot into the bullpen for the Astros if they're on the hunt? They just kind of need a big arm. I don't really know. I think that they should kind of keep his development track on the starter role and the path that they want him to be on. But, uh, but man, that's the only knock for me. It's just a matter of what he does with the innings load in his body as he, as he grows. But... I, I can't say I can't say enough about him. The, I think the one thing on the mechanic side I really really like is you often talk about if you watch first base third base side of a pitcher, you know when they are going into their stride. What you want is you want a linear path to the plate. You don't want the weight coming up because eventually it's going to have to come down and then go at the plate towards. He does a really really good job from the stretch. Number one, staying short. He doesn't. He has a slide step. He's not glass now where it ends up going to be an issue or even Syndergaard where he's going to take a ton of time to to bring up that velo and guys are going to run all over him I don't think that's going to be an issue for him which is huge for his size but he's got a slide step and he comes down really really nicely into his plane into his path and becomes very very linear to the plate and that is something I don't think a lot of people do and I love that about him mechanically and as you said it's, it's clean mechanics he's a little bit I mean he's big I mean how how clean can mechanics be when you're six seven you're trying to repeat him so, I mean, I, I, that's the end of the day for me. But, I mean, the yeah. control says it all. Um, I'm, I'm enamored. I love this kid. He's got a good Twitter account, too. i got to give him that. He's got a little bit of a squat like my boy uh, Jorge Guzman, actually, when he's, when he's throwing. Fair, a little, fair. A little I know, bit of, not uh, Guzman you know, with, with the bottom. 
Uh, I had to bring that up, but, yep. but no, you know, what's funny is I feel like he actually has like, when you bring up the trench coat thing, he almost has like an adult bottom half. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's got, he's got a, you know, he's got, he's got a strong pitcher booty. I mean, for, you know, he, yeah, he's got, he's, he's, lower he's body. got a strong yeah. lower half. And the thing that I love about his, his mechanics and his plant is his plant foot. If you look at it, it's surgical. Like every yep. time. I mean, if you put like a dime down, he would step on that thing every single time, like right in the same spot if you wanted to. It's it's surgical. I love the fact that he's got two breaking balls. Yep. He's got feel for the change up. Everything that he throws has has movement. Uh, everything he throws, he throws with tilt, but particularly the fastball. And it's got a little bit of cut to it, too, which mm-hmm. I like. Um, like you said, not huge velocity for, but I think for a guy, his size, maybe if he adds some upper body strength, but even then he's throwing strikes right now. Uh, he's, he's, he's striking guys out. There's no reason for him to throw 98, 99. No, I don't I'm need, I don't need 95, 96 now. Probably. Yeah. He doesn't have to break the radar gun. No. I mean, if he's throwing with consistent velocity, he throws strikes, he mixes it in with his other pitches. That's exactly what you want from a starter. And, uh, I think Whitley has the body. Um, it looks like he has the mechanics, he's got the arsenal and he's got the organization that's going to help him, you know, develop a lot of that, I think as well. So, uh, I'm very interested to see what happens with Whitley. I do think for some people, he may already be the number one pitching prospect in dynasty leagues. Absolutely. Uh, you know, like I said, in the, in the RDI in the, in the road wire draft. So this is, this is, this isn't bias, uh, Reyes and Otani were the only two prospect eligible pitchers that went ahead of them. And I said in my write-up that you can make a case that neither of those guys really should be prospects. Reyes sure. should be way Tom past John, his, yeah. his mm-hmm. I mean, he barely made it back in 2016. And then obviously he had the unfortunate injury in 2017. And then Otani has been a, a professional. He's 23 years old <laughs> and could have pitched in the major leagues probably two or three years ago. So, yeah, I mean, you know, Technically, he might be the uh, according according to the to the to the the, the room. He might actually be uh, the number one pitching prospect in baseball now. Yeah, and I understand that case too. If you have him above Kopech now, I understand that because of the youth and cut some colors. We're mixing all my words together here. I'm just excited about Whitley. <laughs> but I know. no, I, I think that I completely understand that case now. If you want to make him your number one prospect on your list, even without Otani, without Rice, he's not number one number one for me. But um, I, I see it there. And I'm saying, you know, next year as, as Reyes graduates and Bueller graduates and all these other guys graduate, it's it's Whitley's spot almost to lose, in my opinion. You know, guys like Mitch Keller are going to be right around there on the right-handed pitcher side of things. But I'm really excited to watch him. I'm going to – I mean, I had the MILB TV package a little bit at the end of last year. And I think that if he's in double-A, I think that's Corpus Christi. I think they had some games on there pretty consistently. So I, I'm going to make sure I catch a few of his starts just because I want to – I want to see it. I like getting a pretty good idea of the pitcher themselves in the minor leagues before we eventually see him at the major league level. And I'll be looking for him in kind of 2019. Um, I don't know if he got a camp invite. Did you, do you know if he got a camp invite, Ralph? Um, Whitley? Uh, you know what? I, I would actually know. have to take a look and see if he got a camp invite. That would be something that I would yeah. like look at on like fan tracks or something like yeah, that. Yeah. They go, usually go have to put notes about that. Poke around. So, I'll talk uh, about, I'll talk about Jordan Alvarez. Oh, so, I love Jordan you Alvarez. You love Jordan Alvarez. So the biggest thing I that did. stands out to me, I mean, this isn't so you go. It's kind of funny because this list, you have Tucker 6'4", Whitley 6'7", Jordan Alvarez 6'5". And then when you get into the, the middle of this list and you get into like Freitas Nova and Gilberto and Yario, you're looking at guys who are like 5'11", 6'0". And it's just even, like it's it's a peak and then a valley for size. Even Bukowskis. Even Bukowskis. That's a very good point. He's four on your list, Ralph, and he is – He's a pretty short kid. He's got a little – we'll get into him. But Jordan Alvarez, the, the biggest thing with Jordan Alvarez to me is that he's big, number one, 6'5", 225. But 
the body as a whole, when you look at his body and you see him on the field, it's not as concerning, I think. You often group a lot of these guys who are big-bodied first basemen into, you know, the immobility tier of sorts. Where you got you have Bobby Bradley, you got a couple... Jalen Ortiz is another one, crazy, crazy raw power, but I really don't like his body. Um, there's just guys like that. And Jordan Alvarez, he's got a different kind of physique. He's almost got like a tight end physique to some extent where he can move. And I don't think it's as big of a concern about him ending up at first base with a little bit of immobility later in his career, especially because he's been considered an outfielder at times. And I'm sure it's going to be below average defensively. But even if it's every now and then and it's not Adam Dunn outfield, it, it could be fine. Like I think the back can play up to the point where he's interesting enough. I think I had him right around the 50-ish overall window on my top 100 list. Um, I like him. He's got a pretty tiny leg kick. Um, I think it's a little more for timing than anything. He's got really decent bat speed. He tenses up a little when he goes back into his load, which um, I think they could smooth out, but I really don't think it's that big of a deal. Aesthetically, if I had to give a swing comp, I'd go a little bit with Kend- Kendrys Morales, actually, from a hole as far as where he closes off his front shoulder and how he comes through. I like that comp. Um, I'm not sure on the actual profile of the hitter. I think Euron Alvarez probably has more pop than uh, Morales probably at almost any point in his career, I'm not really sure if I know Morales' career enough. 252 plate appearances in high A. He slashed 277, 329, 393. And the interesting thing with that is that the K rate fell down to like almost, I think it was really low, like 10-ish percent, which is interesting to me because obviously you jump up level. I'm not sure on the park factors between uh, A ball and high for the Astros, but uh, that's it. That's intriguing. If he could put together, like I was trying to think of a peak strikeout to walk rate for him, Ralph. Think of this as, I, as I'm about to pass it back to you, but peak strikeout to walk rate for Jordan Alvarez, for me, if he could get to like 15 and 10 with his profile, 15% K rate, 10% walk rate, I think that's a very, very valuable hitter. And that's a hitter that I don't mind at first base. I don't mind him at first base in fantasy leagues. I think there's some value there. I don't remind him there at first base in real life because I think there's some value there, especially with the K rate being low. A lot of these other guys like Jalen Ortiz and Bobby Bradley, as I briefly alluded to, have a little bit higher on the K rate side of things. And I know Bradley's probably a little more polished with not too much upside, but Alvarez is, is in the lower minors. And I think he's got a little upside in the tank and, um, you sound like you like him, Ralph, and I like him a lot. So I'm going to pass it back to you and let you do a little praising of, of Jordan. Yeah, I, I love the kid, and he's got a, a powerful left-handed swing. It's almost violent uh, when he really really goes after it, you know? Um, and it, <laughs> It's kind of funny, too, because it's, it's almost like controlled violence. Like, I, I feel like he just, he just takes serious rips. Um, you know, big power. He's got power to all fields at this point. Um, young guy, I think he was traded for... Oh, who was the reliever on the Dodgers that they that they they traded over to the Dodgers that uh, oh, I'm drawing a blank now. But regardless, uh, was traded for traded traded to the Astros from the Dodgers uh, for a reliever. And uh, I think this kid could turn out to be, you know, maybe the answer at first base for the Astros if they decide to go that route with him, though. I think he could end up an outfielder. But, you know, I think he could move relatively quickly. If you think about the fact that, you know, he only turned 20 in in you know, late June, almost July. He was 27th of June was his birthday. Uh, and he was already in high A for most of his season. Um, and he shows, you know, decent approach. You know, obviously, I heard he got a little bit tentative. Now, obviously, I didn't see any of these games. But I did hear he got a little bit tentative when he got to Booze Creek. Um, and that's one of the reasons that you know, the walk rate was down um, and, and, uh, and, the, and the K rate as well. He just wasn't, you know, swinging at as much. And just sort of uh, trying to put, you know, contact anything in the zone. Um, hmm. He didn't hit for as much power, but you know he's 20 years old in high A, so you know I, I certainly can uh, 
can write that off. Yeah, I don't know if I have too much more to say about Alvarez, to be quite honest with you. Um, I think you just you see the player, you see the swing, you see the age, and uh, sort of what the production is, and the fact that you know he's never really struggled with approach. You know, I know he had a 26 percent or close to a 26 percent walk, you know, strikeout rate uh, in low A, but you know he was walking about 16, 17 <laughs> percent of the yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, and slugging 658. So, yeah, he was so advanced for the level, it really didn't matter. I think he was going after everything. So I think you could see that he was aggressive in one level and then not so aggressive in the next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Josh Fields was the pitcher, actually, who who they mm. traded for him. I just looked that up quickly. It was on I... the tip of my tongue. I couldn't think of who it was. <laughs> I knew it was like a, you know, a multi-inning guy. That, yeah. you know, the Do- it was actually, he's been good for the Dodgers, too. Yeah, he hasn't been too bad. He's the, that bullpen, that, that Motley, they, they've just acquired. I remember back in the day when they had, like, Brandon League and those guys, too, just piled up all the ex-closers from other teams. But, uh, but yeah, that that is the um, – who else? The Dodgers have another first-base prospect, too. I'm trying to think. Of, um, is it Edwin Rios or a couple other guys, too, who are kind of in that yeah, Jordan Alvarez – or in that Jordan Alvarez kind of style of player. So I'm not really surprised they offloaded one, but – um, but Jordan Alvarez has been really good. I, I'm I'm very intrigued with him overall as as he jumps up levels, and I think there's a lot of hope on him for the power coordinating with a little bit more on the defensive value side of things. I know he's not going to be a plus defender, or whatever, but it's not as detrimental as a guy like Willie Calhoun who doesn't have a position. And I wouldn't be stunned if you see Jordan Alvarez just rake and high A, jump up, jump up double A, and can end up. I mean, being a 22 year old debuting at the major league level. I want to pass it to you, quick, Ralph. How different is? Alvarez, we've seen guys in the past like uh, Tyler White um, and I'm trying to think of A.J. Reed, who are kind of these first baseman prospects pseudo where they could kind of maybe end up being valuable in fantasy leagues and other leagues. But is Alvarez different? Do you think that this is kind of premier talent as opposed to Reed and some other other guys who were maybe yeah. a little bit subpar? Even though I, I have to say, I then might even be knocking Reed because there was a lot of people in on Reed and he yeah, kind of just I was never put it together. I, I think I was too. I don't, I wouldn't fault anyone for being on in him and admitting it. Was, it, but, it was uh, tough. It was tough to see a uh, you know a, an SEC bat that put up yeah. the numbers that he did across a couple of levels in his first full year, and then really didn't put it together. But you know what? Ultimately, it was is was the bat speed just isn't yeah. there. The approach is there. He does have power. He's a strong guy when he does make contact. I think the difference is Alvarez is more athletic and I think he has, you know, better bat speed. Neither of those guys were ever playing the outfield, you know, very um, good point. <laughs> that's a very good point. Yeah. That's, but, that's uh, key. Yeah. And I, I think ultimately that's, that's what the big difference is, uh, between those three is I think this guy, and he's only 20, you know, so the other two guys were playing, uh, college ball, uh, when they were 20 years old and, you know, Alvarez obviously at 19 was, you know, put in a very good numbers in full season ball. And, uh, you know, I think the credit credits do, uh, with him this year, he, he did sort of burst onto the scene as a guy that, you know, not too many people were talking about coming into 2017. Um, and it's interesting because I always wonder, you know, w- which one of these sort of, uh, you know, international July two talents is going to burst on the scene next with either the Astros or the Yankees or the Dodgers and even the Red Sox to a certain extent. But those are the teams that it seems like every year there's just a new player that bounces out and, you know, pops out of nowhere and just, you know, bounces onto the top 100 radar. And, uh, that was definitely Alvarez. I mean, you know, all of a sudden we went from unranked to like, you know, top 50 for me and, uh, he's going to stay around there. I mean, uh, you know, if he has a big season, I could definitely see him moving up into the top 30, top 25, um, and being a guy that everybody's talking about. Everybody wants to own next year. So if you're in shallower leagues, I actually think that Alvarez is definitely a good target for you. I mean, Lance, what do you think about that? I, I do agree with that. I think that's a very good point. I think he's a guy too, who you have to differentiate the fantasy side from, 
the real life side because of the defense and because a lot of these first base hitters like this like i know first base is really really deep in fantasy leagues etc but a lot of these guys like if if you just want utility bat who's going to be productive and you're in a deep league i they become valuable they become really valuable like guys like bobby bradley are going to get up and they're going to hit your Nalvarez is going to get up eventually i believe and he's going to hit probably and even though you're going to see him knock down on i'm sure some lists that incorporate that defensive side it's from the fantasy angle, I don't think you can really use those ranks. And, and there's a lot of guys like this where the defense just isn't that great and other lists will knock them for that. And I just think it's really good to know what list you're looking at when you're doing first-year player drafts or fantasy drafts or looking to trade, et cetera, and trying to value players and just really understanding the value at the end of the day. And, you know, the defensive side could play into some value for prospects too because of playing time. You know, if, if Jordan Alvarez has split problems, platoon problems, I can see him turning into a platoon bat. And then, you know, because he doesn't have the defensive prowess anywhere, that can knock his value, et cetera. So it's a circular argument. It goes around and around, I think, to some extent. But um, I, I like Alvarez a lot. I'm going to keep an eye on him for sure. And I wouldn't be shocked to see him through double a and, and hitting pretty well and I, I like this swing a lot and i think we kind of discussed this but uh yeah i'm, I'm fan of him i'm a fan of him overall i think we both are right in that 50 window no problems at all we were speaking a little bit about um college in general and jb bukaskis sure. is a guy who pitched at unc i believe he's kind of a guy who i immediately comp to uh to carson fulmer actually because a little bit shorter higher for delivery etc but i think i actually heard that comp before i really looked into looked into um his his mechanics and how he throws overall and i think i don't know if he's as high effort as i thought he was going to be ralph yeah <laughs> and that's the biggest thing for me it's it's not a lot of extensions a lot of upper body he's not really back like drive he's not really rotational it's kind of a pseudo in between from my perspective when i saw but the thing at the end of the day the difference between him and fulmer is he has two really really good pitches whereas i think fulmer blended a lot of his pitches together and at the major mm-hmm. level that was the biggest problem for him is he he didn't really have one pitch or two it was more like oh he's got a change he's got a curve he got a slider he two seam he gets sink and cut it whatever and then Picasso comes in he's he's got a fastball he's got a slider and he's got a change of two that i think is relatively reasonable but that slider is really good i heard at times i remember during last draft season that that was one of the better pitches in the first round and yeah. i think we kind of overlook that and it might be because we're trying to figure out whether there is relief risk with them or how much there probably is inherent relief risk with a lot of these guys who have kind of these shorter high effort deliveries whatever and Guys like uh, like Justice Sheffield have kind of bucked that to some extent, which I find very interesting. Just that crop of player who is a little bit shorter, but it doesn't really, like, I don't hear any buzz around relief risk for him, probably because he's a lot more polished, et cetera. But these guys, the college arms who they think can move quick, seem to produce the most value right off the bat with um, being relievers. And I think that's why you get that knock on Bukaskis' side. Uh, number 15 overall in 2017. Um, he only threw 10 innings. I really don't think you could look into that too, too much. But, uh, um, I like him. I honestly, I do. I, I don't think I knock him as much as some other people do because of the relief risk. I think he's got a couple good pitches. I don't know at the end of the day what I see with him. I'm really split between whether he becomes a reliever or a starter. I think it depends a little bit on the Astros' needs, too. We'll get to some other guys on this list who I think probably could prosper in other systems that might require a little bit more development. But uh, I'll pass it back to you, Ralph Rubukaskis. What are your thoughts overall? Yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's kind of built like, like Sonny Gray in terms of, you know, how his body actually looks you know, in terms of size. He's got the high socks, um, maybe a little bit with the delivery. The arm action is totally different. And I think that's what people sort of label him high effort. It's because he sort of has that like three quarters, almost like arm, mm. you know, sidearms. Not all delivery. extension. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's exactly. Why. You know, and I think that's, you know, that's one of the, that's one of the things that people sort of don't like about him. But that being said, 
He ramps that fastball. It sits about 95, 96, can ramp it up to 97. I've even seen it hit 98 in games that I've seen of his, as well as some scouting tape that I watched before the show. Um, That slider is nasty. That slider has absolute bite. It sits 87, 88 consistently. He can throw it for strikes through the zone. He gets swings and misses on it. And the same thing with a fastball, because that thing runs in on lefties and away from right-handers. Um, it's a, it's a nice pitch. I like the fastball as well. I think he's got two plus pitches. The slider probably is a plus plus pitch though. I'm always a little apprehensive to do, uh, to give that grade prior to seeing somebody throw 50 to 60 major league in it. I mean, uh, uh, minor league innings. He hasn't thrown more than that professionally. So that's probably part of the question, but you know, big, big, uh, college conference kid, UNC, big program, um, long story tradition of producing good players. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm not, uh, um, I wouldn't be surprised if Bukowski is either an elite reliever or a starter right now. I do like him as a starter because I think he has the stuff and I don't want to write it off yet because anybody that has two pitches that, that are that good, um, automatically can be pretty good in a major league bullpen, probably within, you know, <laughs> a few months. Um, but I think that they can, you know, this organization can add the polish and I think he's far superior to the other arms that are in this system. Um, at least the ones that are, you know, within three years of the majors other than Forrest Whitley, obviously Whitley is, is head and shoulders ab- above the rest. But, you know, when we're talking about Armenteros, um, Paulino and, uh, some of those guys, I mean, yeah, I'll, you know, Perez, you know, either Perez with the Tector Perez or CNL Perez, um, I'd take him over those guys. I know some people really like CNL Perez, but I, I think he's a reliever. Um, Solis is probably the only guy that I think probably has a higher upside, uh, you know, uh, uh, than, than Bukowskis. So yeah, I like him. I, I think, I think he's a little bit slept on in this draft. It wouldn't shock me if a year from now we're talking about how good of a pick that JB Bukowskis pick was because the Astros seem to do that every single draft year. <laughs> they do. They're smart. They got really good player development. Uh, Rotoware Ralph, the sponsor of the show. We got to give him some airtime. Give me your thoughts on, on Rotoware. Yeah. You rank him number five on your list. Pretty good projection. 60 hit tool. Uh, no, just kidding. Oh, no, number, <laughs> number one on my list, 80 grades all over the place. I got a I got a new shirt on right now. Continuously mock draft. It's a shout out to the Crab Army, I think, from Kenny. And it looks like the infamous Mob Deep. I think it's a a little nod to uh, Prodigy, rest in peace, and Mob Deep in general. If you're a fan of mid '90s hip hop, then you know the deal. And you probably would appreciate Rotoware and Kenneth Cashman because he has his finger on the pulse. This is a guy who grew up listening to that hip hop. He has that creative spirit running through his veins, uh, straight out of the boogie down. Bronx. Actually, I don't think he's actually out of, out of the boogie down Bronx, but he is from New York via via Florida. That's where he lives now. And uh, he's constantly putting out new designs. He's got a ton of different shirts coming out. He's doing a Crab Army exclusive shirt that I know he's releasing for uh, us crabs. So I'm very excited to see what that looks like. But like I said, he's got a bunch of different designs that have come out uh, over the last couple of weeks. There's so many shirts coming out that I can't even keep up with all the different designs. Uh, they're always good, really clean, highest uh, material, really good fit. Um, I mean, I, I love my rotoware stuff. I probably have eight rotoware shirts now. I probably have just about every single one of them. So, uh, I've talked about my commissioner shirt. Love that one. Have my ALNL mixed league shirt. Love that one. Uh, I have, I love my keepers. And of course I love that one. Um, yeah, I mean, Lance, Lance, stop me. I'm, I'm just <laughs> rambling about rotoware because I love it's them so thing. much. No, it's, there's nothing wrong with tell, that at all. Yeah, I got I got people. 
tell the people how we can help them. Absolutely. Yeah. We can help you guys by using the promo code SAGNOF, Saves and Steals Ain't Got No Face, S-A-G-N-O-F. It gives you 20% off on, on Kenny's site. Um, he's Kenneth underscore Cashman, I believe, on Twitter, at Rotoware, rotoware.com. Um, I'm a big fan of them overall. I'm a big fan of what Kenny does. I love his Twitter account, honestly, and a lot of things he does. But uh, <laughs> Ralph is... <laughs> So I get all right. Anyone that doesn't know me and Ralph record via Skype, we could actually see each other as we talk. And, and Ralph's goofing around right now, so I'm laughing. But uh, he's taking away Kenny's airtime, which Kenny would really like right now. Ralph, as you make me laugh as we're doing this, but uh, but yeah, I got an Island My Keeper shirt. I want to expand the wardrobe a little bit. I saw a pretty cool one floating around on Twitter today with um, with a bunch of just war swinging strike uh, FIP and some other things just straight down the shirt. I thought that was pretty yes. cool to pick that one up. Yes. Um, George Springer's Bathwater is one that I think was coined by Justin Mason and a couple other people, or I don't know how that came to be, but I think that's a funny one. They got a couple others. I mean, it's coming into the season, which means he's going to be releasing more designs, which means you should be buying more shirts and we will be buying more shirts. And that Crab Army shirt is going to be an exclusive if anyone wants it, who's a devoted pod listener and isn't in the Raz 30 league, which shout out to shout out to the Raz 30 league, actually. Keepers were due, keepers are due. We're recording this. Yes. on a thursday night they're doing i believe an hour and some 50 minutes or so right yes. now Ralph. I'm gonna, so uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna set everything up and we're gonna start the first year player draft oh, so that's that is gonna, gonna be, be an fun. experience we'll have to talk yes. about that next show for sure i'm interested i think we i will. have a pretty late pick i think you might have a top 10-ish pick probably i'm trying to think yeah i think i probably would pick in maybe 22nd 23rd 24th is where i where i finished because oh, okay. i finished uh i made the playoffs but i was i sort of eked in as a wild card team because i had the mets and if you don't know, it's somewhat based on real life rosters. So the fact that I got those Mets into the playoffs, I think, is a uh, miracle in itself. Now I'm the Reds, and I'm uh, I'm going to finish higher than Lance this year with the Reds. You're <laughs> I gotta get first. team. I gotta win that team. I've been <laughs> getting a lot of offers for everyone I'm doing good. It's and impossible. I'm, like, I'm not going to beat you. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're you're in the rebuild. Though. That's the point of these deeper leagues. But we're taking away from from the the Rotoware airtime here again. <laughs> Rotoware.com. Kenneth underscore Cashman at Rotoware. Um, the the apparel. Of Roto, of Rasball, of everything we do, Prospect Podcast, the site, Gray. Um, we appreciate everything Kenny does, and we appreciate his brand immensely. So keep it up, Kenny, and we love your work. Um, Rogelio Armenteros, right-handed pitcher. This is a guy, so we. I, I wanted to sneak in before we jump down here, Ralph. You were talking about Bukowski. You like him as a starter. I actually feel like we might be in the minority in this, where we both kind of think he's probably all right everyone thinks he's more interesting as a starter but whether he can actually survive as a starter i think that there is a little bit of a chance he can't because of that third pitch when you go to a guy like rogelio armenteros there really isn't too much of a third pitch and this is where i think you kick up the relief risk even more for a guy like this he's got a heavy fall off to first base side which is the first thing i noticed um really didn't i mean he's pretty high three quarters the tilt is something with him that you'll notice more he's almost he looks high three quarters from the arm slot but when you actually look at his torso it's because he's falling off so much he's so slanted to the first base side that it's almost probably lower three quarters if you straighten his back out but uh but i don't mind him overall i mean the curveball's got a ton of ton of depth he locates it really well can throw it early late in counts i like that about him a lot he's got also a really good track record through the minors um I feel like to some extent, I'm relating this back to fantasy, I don't know how much value there is here on the fantasy side of things, but he feels a little bit Bragg Peacock-esque, where he could kind of maybe sparp it up as he goes forward and, and comes up through the Major League system. I'm sure he's going to end up getting some time, maybe this year even. I think that he's a reasonable enough arm to kind of slot in there and throw a couple innings, you know, if his starter gets knocked out early in the 6th or 7th or 5th or something like that. He could slot in. 30% strike rate, 8% walk rate across about 120 innings pitched. He started... Um, most of those, I believe, in Double A. He did make a couple relief appearances, I think, 
whether that was in the beginning of 2017 or late 2016, I don't remember particularly, but uh, I, I'm interested in him overall, particularly because of how good the curveball is, Ralph, but I think that there's, honestly, I think there's more relief risk here than there is in Bukaskis, and that's the biggest oh, yeah. problem for me, is that really in the back to fantasy, it's really, you there isn't too, too much upside in my opinion. I don't know how much there's going to be on the changeup side of things with him and his arm action overall. I don't think it's unbelievable to the point where I can project out that change it more than maybe some could, but maybe you're a little bit higher on me than Armenteros. Do you see as much um, relief risk upside or what's your thoughts? I'm, I'm a little bit perplexed no, with I, him. I think he's, I think he's close to the majors. I think he will uh, accumulate some major league innings. Uh, you know, uh, whether it's in a starting role as a back end of the rotation guy uh, or as a reliever remains to be seen. You know, who he reminds me of is uh, using marrow uh, petite. Ah, that's a good comp. Yeah, I could, I could feel and that. And I actually heard that comp from a scout. Oh, wow. And he said uh, that he was fooled by a pitcher like Armenteros before because after I had had John Sickles, if you know him from minorleagueball.com on my uh, fan track show, he had said that he thought that Armenteros was the most uh, underrated pitcher in the minor leagues wow. and he raved about his changeup. Well, huh. I had read elsewhere that he had a really good changeup from, uh, Eric Longenhagen. I talked to this scout and I talked to Chris blessing of, uh, baseball HQ. And they both told me that he does not have a good changeup. Baseball prospectus also said that they don't think he has a good changeup. So I've seen this pitch, uh, rated as average fringe and plus plus. So <laughs> it's somebody has to get to the bottom of Armenteros' changeup. I you can't you can't really tell from tape. Yeah, I've that's seen the thing. Swings and misses. I just thought it was not existing on minor leaguers. But maybe they're saying that like yeah, it's a plus pitch in the minors. It's not a plus pitch in the majors because of the type of changeup that it is. You know what I mean? Because where he spots it, maybe major league hitters can get to it. Because you know, I don't know it, that my but my understanding is that it, it's it's been ranked as like I said plus plus and then average fringe. So it's, there's such a variance in this pitch. I think his, his uh, curveball is pretty good. Yeah. Fastball wasn't bad. He looks like a reliever to me. You know, uh, he only almost re- re- reminds me of like uh, a guy who used to pitch for the Red Sox. Like I think it was uh, Julian Tavares, where he was a, kind of like yeah. a bullpen, you know, one, two inning kind of yeah. guy. Uh, maybe we'll give you a spot start every so often. And, and, you know, he's almost like a Swiss Army knife out of the bullpen. I think he can be that kind of a guy. I don't think he's a starter. I think he's a bit overrated, um, but I think he could find a really useful role, uh, maybe as like a fireman type, especially as we're starting to go to this uh, as bullpenning has started to come in vogue. So I think Armenteros is really interesting. And hey, he had great numbers. We, he has to credit where credit is due across a few different levels. Pitched well in the PCL. It's not an easy place to pitch. I mean, this guy finished the season with a, a 2.04 ERA, 1.04 whip. Uh, 146 Ks and 123.2 innings. So he had really good numbers. He's still only 23, if you believe his Cuban birth certificate. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm really interested to see what this guy's changeup is like at the major league level. Because, like I said, the debate the debate sort of rages on, and I'm I'm not one that I guess because I haven't gotten any firsthand looks. I don't have an opinion, but this is what I've heard from a few different respected sources on both sides. Huh. That this is very perplexing to me because I watched a bunch of tape on him just because I was I really liked the depth in the in the movement on his curveball so I was watching a lot of that and he spots it really well but I just never saw him throw a changeup so my immediate thought and I, I searched around a little bit and I didn't really see anyone talking about him so this is interesting I didn't really see anyone talking about him you're saying that there's people who rave about it and then there's who 
basically say it's it's fringe and yeah so I, it's uh, interesting wow read ba- read baseball prospectus uh houston astros rankings and they talk about it in there read john sickles astros rankings he talks about the uh it in there and uh read uh, eric longenhagen's uh fan graphs and then if you want i can show you the conversation with blessing and the other guy that is so funny yeah that's yeah. perplexing me now too I, I i'd be interested reached out to them during the rdi draft to ask about armenteros because of how high sickles was on him and then the baseball prospectus list came out and I saw that. So it was just, it, it was, it was confusing. You know, yeah, I'm like, yeah. I, I, yeah, what yeah, is I it? You know, I, 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 what I see with my eyes is he spots his fastball well yep. to both sides of the plate. And then he has a good curveball with nice break. Yep. You know, I don't really know what the change up. He gets some swings and misses on it. But I mean, unless I have a radar gun, I can't really even differentiate all that much. You know, it's true. It's a good point. You got to look at the hitter swing at the end of the day. If you're watching, I'd love to see him live just because of this. Now, <laughs> the mystery yeah. of Armentero's changeup, I think. Um, but the, actually, as we jump down now to David Paulino, right? Another right handed pitcher back to back here. Um, he has a changeup. He has a pretty good changeup too. Um, <laughs> and at the end of the day, it's a pitch I actually like the movement on more than I think some do. And um, I, I, but the thing is, Paulino has also seen some major league time. He started. He actually threw pretty well. But the big problem with him, if you look at his fan graphs, look at anything, is he got decimated by the home run ball. And actually, if you want a little lesson on like anyone who doesn't really dig into the stats too too much more, or likes the aesthetics, whatever, of baseball, ERA, FIP, and XFIP, he is like the poster child of it because his ERA is above six, his FIP is right in five, and then his XFIP is four. And what they're doing there is they're just, you know, FIP is just a basic, very, very simple home runs, walks, strikeouts proportionally, and, and kind of gives you a, a, actually predicts year over year, I believe, a little better than ERA. Um, just gives you kind of a fundamental thing of what the pitcher can control, fielder and dependent pitching. It's what it stands for. And then XFIP is where they normalize the home run rate, basically. So they take one of the components of FIP and, and make it league average, and that's what brings it down to 4.1 on the XFIP side of things. So there's a lot of ways you can look at Paulino just from those three stats and kind of infer whatever you want. But for me, for him only throwing 30 innings and giving up this many home runs, I kind of tried to come up with some ways that I would tinker with him and try to figure out what to do with him because I like the changeup a lot. I've seen it a couple times um, on tape, and I, I'm a fan of its movement. I think it's got interesting break. It, it sits in a little bit of a higher rung of changeups where it's probably not going to be too swing and miss-inducing. It's probably going to be more on the ground ball side of things as it sits kind of relatively close to his fastball, et cetera. But um, actually, I don't think it does, but I just don't think the pitch is going to be too much of a whiff pitch, which, again, is one of the problems. I'd like to see them actually tinker with his changeup a little bit. I think it sits 82, and his fastball is low 90s, and usually when you see about that 10% differential, um, excuse me, 10-mile-per-hour differential between the two pitches, you that's kind of that window you want. You want 7 to 10% differential between the fastball and the change, but the more you get up, the smaller that distance becomes, say you have a 92-mile-per-hour fastball and an 85-mile-per-hour changeup, that's going to be more of a ground ball-inducing changeup. And then the other way around, one with a little bit more movement, a little bit slower, is where you get a little bit more whiffs. And he's caught in between, I think partially because his fastball isn't fast enough. So he can't really sequence the pitch well enough to make that changeup plus. But the times you've seen it that it's good and hitters swing through it is where it kind of sits in a window where he probably sequences it well enough between the fastball but the biggest thing for him i think honestly might just be fastball velocity if he could kick that fastball velocity up keep that change up around 82 ish if i'm remembering the velocity on it correctly you could probably end up with a little bit better of a pitcher overall to left-handed hitters he goes fastball curveball change there's really not much slider usage that's kind of like a distant fourth pitch and then right-handed hitters he goes fastball curveball and that's about 80%. So there's really not much use of the changeup against righties, which is pretty standard. It's usually more of a lefty out pitch for a guy with some some arm side run on it. But uh, 
Paulino's, I, I, I'm interested in him overall, honestly, just because I think the Astros gave him a shot to start. I don't remember who he was filling in for, but that, that exudes a little bit of confidence for me. I like that. 27% K rate, 5% walk rate in the minor leagues, etc. Um, I, I want to tinker with the change with him. At the end of the day, that's my proposal, really, is just to see what happens there. Maybe go off speed a little bit earlier. I'm probably rambling a little bit too much here, Ralph, but, uh, but Paulino, I don't know how much you've seen of the changeup, but it stood out to me on this list compared to some others, so... Um, maybe I'm a little bit higher on him than others. I thought he had a slider as well. He does, yeah. He doesn't use it much from what I saw, from what I was reading. Uh, if you go Brooks Baseball and you watch, you just look at tabular data where they split it out yep. on the handedness of the hitter. It was the fourth most used pitch in each repertoire against lefties and righties. Easy so enough. it seems like a just a f- throwaway fourth pitch to me. I didn't see it too, too much on tape, but uh, um, I, it seems mm. he's fastball curveball to righties, fastball curveball change yeah. to lefties. So. Mostly what I saw was... Ke- uh, fastball curveball and he does have a, notice, a noticeable change up um, he's got you know I, I wouldn't say it's an elite pitch but like you said it's, it's sort of it's stuck in between yeah yeah, yeah. but like uh, he's got a feel for it maybe he could add, add a little snap onto it and you know we'll see what happens from there but yeah I, you know Paulino's one of these guys I'm sort of sick of writing about him I've been writing about him for years <laughs> now I was really yeah. into him a few years ago he had a PED suspension he's had some injury issues and he really struggles with command and I think that's what his issue is with the homers is I think there's times where he leaves stuff up in the zone when he doesn't necessarily want to sort of hangs, hangs the curveball, hangs some changeups too. Um, and the fastball, as you said, doesn't have the velocity you would want from a guy who is as big as he is. Um, he does have sort of long levers too. You know, he's six, five, six, six. No, I think he's Mer- like six, four. Yeah. In is that window. Six, four? I don't is know. That, I could be it? wrong. I could I be wrong. Let me see. Tall. He's six seven, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, he's six seven. Wow. Um, How was I so wrong? He's so long. I mean, if you look at him, if wow. you watch some of the tape on him, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at him right now. I mean, his legs. He's got legs for days, kid. Um, <laughs> he is very, yeah, he's very long, and he's kind of like almost Michael Pineda esque in terms of his build. So um, maybe they can go in that path with him, but I don't know. I, I, I he's tough because he's one of these guys where. He's been around for so long. The stuff is good. The build is there, but it's just not come together, even with the Astros sort of behind him. Now, as you said, they have some confidence in him, but I I really don't think at the end of the day, I don't, I don't know how much value he's really going to have uh, career-wise. I wonder if he's going to be one of these guys that sort of bounces around unless he sort of figures something out um, and is sort of able to correct his command issues. Yeah, it feels like the prospect hype to some extent is relatively gone with him. And yet he's only 23. So this feels like a guy who comes up, the stuff doesn't play up immediately. But I think you could tinker with him and you could figure out what's wrong on the pitch mix side. There's a lot of components in him overall that I think you could mess with to get to the point where maybe he's 25 and he figures out and becomes like a solid number four. I think that that's what I see with him ultimately because he has a couple pitches, because they all kind of grade out decently. I, I probably am a little bit more hopeful than other people around him, I would say, overall. Um, I, 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 I like I like him. like him. I honestly do. Six seven is hilarious because the tape I saw. I don't know why I didn't look at his height. Way I usually do that for uh. most guys to kind of. I don't know how I didn't see that, but I I never would have guessed he was six seven from his delivery and how he throws. But maybe that's just a misperception by me. But uh, I'm gonna keep an eye on him. I'm interested to see mainly what the Astros do with him this year too. Um, really not a lot of innings last year. Year before he threw a substantial amount, but really not a starter's workload. So again, it feels like another one of these sparps. And if the Astros buy into this bullpenning scheme that they've done, I know in the past with Davinsky and some of these other guys and Peacock, it could be valuable. I think that really he could he could be valuable in that role. Like if you end up, honestly, he could become a sneaky sneaky guy in like redraft. If you're if you're in a ratios league where you really want to bring down 
you know, if you're daily lock or bi-weekly lock and, or twice a week, semi-weekly lock or whatever you want to call it, where you want to kind of help out the ratios because the strikeouts have kind of always been there. They've always been there at the major league level, and that's what I like about him. So um, there, I think there's value hidden with him. I just don't know how. You know, he's going to be one of those guys where it's tough to buy in now unless you mm. believe in a plan. And you go, I want him to do X, Y, and Z, and I think he'll be valuable because of that. And I just can't do that because I'm not yeah. sure what they're going to do with him. So um, I'm torn. I'm torn with Paulino, but I'm going to keep Same it on here. him. Um, yeah. Now let's jump into the Latin American trio. Yes. Whatever you want to call it, quintuplet of players here, where it's just try <laughs> just a bunch of them here tossed in. Uh, I, the funniest thing here is that I have to admit, probably one of my weak suits in prospect analysis is analyzing Latin American players. And I work, I actually met editor over at CB Scouts Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network, and we just brought on a writer who scouted in Costa Rica, Nicaragua, and all these other places. And I was on a really good conversation with him talking about exactly this. And he made a lot of really good points around it, but. He honestly said that it's more like a reps thing. It's, he said that it's tough for uh, people who mainly see minor league American baseball, as, as I do, to an, analyze players where it's just aesthetically different. And this was my problem looking at guys like Nova and Celestino and, and um, who else down here is a hitter. There's another one I'm thinking of. Um, Jonathan Aruz, or I don't know how you say his name, but um, these guys just they don't mesh together for me. It's just tough for me to pick out what I like and what I don't like and what the power projection is and what the skill set really is, et cetera, and what they have to tinker with. Because I feel like a lot of these guys are so, so raw that when you look at them, you can immediately pick out the knocks, even if I think you're, you're on the maybe more amateur side of scouting, which I definitely am. You can pick out you know, the issues in the swing. You can pick out it's a little bit long here. It's a little bit short here. I don't see too much power on the back path, et cetera. But with these guys, what you have to do is you have to say, it's really raw. Can this happen? Can this tool become 60 grade? Can this become a a substantially plus player in a couple aspects and actually return substantial value. And that's my biggest problem with these guys. So I have to admit, as we jump into these, we'll, we'll trio them up here or we'll duo Nova and Celestino here, Ralph. Um, but it's tough for me to break these guys down. I have to say, um, so Nova for me, I'll actually tell a funny story quick. So I searched him on YouTube as I do pretty much every guy on every list that we go through. And the, one of like the fourth things down was a Nicki Minaj and Drake song called no frauds which I think had to do with the fact that his name is F-R-E-U-D-I-S. Yes. And I started laughing, and I don't really know that song, but uh, I, I think that speaks to how much people know who he is, that yeah. when you search his name on YouTube, the fourth result is a song by Drake. Yeah, there's so, like uh, two videos. Like, there's not much. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's really not much in him. He's pretty young. I think that there's a, probably more development to come with him. He's listed at 6'1", 180. He's got a pretty nice toe tap. I thought this swing overall was pretty nice. Honestly, yeah, there wasn't like really too, too much movement. I think that that's at the end of the day why I think a lot of people like him. But um, you have him seven, Ralph, and I honestly think that's a that's pretty aggressive on him. So I want to get your thoughts overall on him. The guy actually, I've running down your list a little bit more. Corbin Martin is probably the guy I would actually put at seven. And you know, as we, I always probably have these things with Ralph, we always go back and forth on kind of seven through fifteen. You can jumble all these guys up, but I like bringing up kind of who I would have in that window. Most of the time, I'd say me and Ralph definitely agree on the top five-ish, you know, maybe one here or there, personal preference. But um, Corbin Martin is a guy I would probably have above this trio of uh, of Cuban-Dominican uh, prospects, etc. I'm not exactly sure where each of them is from, so I, I don't want to mess up their, their country of nationality. But uh, give me your thoughts on Nova. Number seven means you... Th- probably think that there's more in the tank here as far as projection goes Ralph yeah I think this is a guy that could break out and uh you know in a year or two when he gets you know his full season debut could be you know an absolute superstar in the making in terms of fantasy um but I fall in love with these middle infield kids 
uh, with powerful bats, and he definitely has that. I love the swing. He's got a nice, clean, athletic cut from the right side. Um, he plays the position pretty well at short. At worst, he maybe you know grows out of it, uh, bulks up a little bit, and moves to third base. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I feel like we say that about almost every shortstop that isn't like the perfect uh, prototypical shortstop kind of build. Um, and I even actually list him at third base. We did play some third last year as well, but he's still very young. He just turned 18, uh, maybe a week or two back as well. So, um, 17 years old all year long, um, played in the Dominican summer league. The numbers aren't great, but I, I would look past it. I think that there's uh, some Supreme town here. We should probably get a look this year in short season ball. I don't know if he'll be in the, uh, the GCL or the Sally or, wh- or where he'll necessarily end up, but, uh, it should be interesting to see. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of this kid. I like to take gambles on some of these, uh, high upside, highly rated, um, you know, uh, July 2nd, you know, Latin internationals. Um, he does have a rumored PED test that was failed. He had initially signed with the Marlins actually, uh, and sort of fell into the lap of the Astros. I don't know if you realize that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I did hear about that. There's another guy on this list. I think you got suspended for amphetamines i want to say or something i have it on my notes here but i'm sure we'll get to it um but yeah um interesting and actually one thing i saw i think i saw an article someone wrote on nova where the scouts were actually interested in how much that ped usage early on kind of buoyed the power they saw when he was being scouted so that's another thing too but i think for the most part what we've seen him off peds from our understanding at least is that the power is still there so that's i think a good thing with him and for me, the 18% strikeout rate, even at a really low level like that, makes me think there might be a little more breaking ball recognition than a lot of these guys who are pretty young, which is huge because we see a lot of guys go into short season A ball, whatever, rookie ball, Arizona League, whatever, and end up with like 30% K rates out of nowhere. And it's really a matter of trying to you know, fundamentally help them understand how pitchers sequence and, and get to the breaking ball and be able to make contact and drive it the other way, et cetera, whatever they want to do with it. But the fact that Nova might have a little bit of that encourage it's encouraging to me, and I like that. Um, jumping to Celestino, um, he's a guy with a b- bigger of a sample, 500 at-bats and rookie ball. The ISO was really, really low at, at 111. I was reading Long and Hagen's take on him from Fangraphs, and he actually thinks there's some sneaky power here, which I don't really know if I see particularly. Yeah, I don't know. So uh, I, 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 I was going to pass it back to you and see if you agreed with that. Right? But <laughs> <laughs> you beat me to it. But uh, but yeah, it's an interesting swing. His hands start a little bit higher than Nova's. Uh, it's pretty long, but I think what Long and Hagen was saying that he likes from the power perspective with him is that the path of his swing is what, at the end of the day, he thinks can be a little bit more conducive to power, especially because I think from Long and Higgins takes two, he thinks that he's going to grow more. So with that swing plane, with a little bit more growth, I could kind of see what Long and Higgins saying, but I think at the present state, and this goes back to what I'm saying about how I don't really have the biggest grasp on these Latin American players, is that I didn't see what Long and Higgins saw. You know, I definitely am taking that from him and, and the fact that he says that there might be a little more power in the tank than we realized. But I mean, at the end of the day, I, I, I'd say 50th percentile, even more of the ceiling here for me, just because he's so raw, feels like a fourth outfielder. So I don't really know how much value there's here, Ralph, but uh, um, I'm interested in your thoughts as, as always. Yeah, it's funny because sometimes I look at his swing when he was an amateur, like with the Dominican team uh, or the, no, he's Cuban actually, isn't he? So maybe, maybe it was with, yeah, is he Cuban? I'm pretty sure. I'm not sure. I don't want to mess with this guy's No, he's the Dominican Republic. Yeah. So he's with the Dominican team. Um, He's pretty rotational in his, in his swing. But then sometimes I see, and he has a super exaggerated another tape tape. He has a super exaggerated uh, leg kick in, in the early part of his leg. Have you seen that? Where like his his knee is super high, Um, but I've seen it toned down 
another tape, and it doesn't look like it was all that far off. But, yeah, I mean, he's interesting. Uh, he was a big name in, I think, that Vladdy Jr. class. Um, I don't think he was rated uh-huh. higher than Vladdy Jr., but he was, you know, considered one of the better better Dominican talents. Um, he showed some pretty good pitch recognition and plate approach, and that's what I've heard about him. He runs fairly well. Um, I think that, you know, you, you more have to bank on him being a contact speed guy, uh, playing some good defense. And I have heard that, you know, uh, scouting-wise, I've heard that his defense is very good. I've really only watched tape of him hitting because that's all that matters to me as a fantasy guy. Um, but there is maybe... 12 to 13 homer pop there. I don't see like 20 homer pop, but maybe, no, maybe no. he can That's grow into it. And Logan Hagen see some projection there that we don't. Um, that certainly doesn't mean that it's not there. He's not without power, but I think he could be sort of that top of the order, uh, get on base, hit for contact, run, you know, run, you know, steal some bases, play up the middle, you know, as in center field um, and, you know, give you some sneaky power. But uh, I think he, you know, maybe projects at a ceiling, as sort of a top of the order guy. But uh, if not, I think, you know, if he doesn't max out, which likely he doesn't, he's more like a fourth outfielder, um, you know, or somebody that's like a a fringe starter on like a a second division team. Yeah. And and jumping into Yario Solis here, right-handed pitcher, Hector Perez, right-handed pitcher. And then the other Perez, who's the lefty, Sionel Perez, is your trio at 9, 10, 11, Ralph. Um, we could kind of group these guys together. The biggest thing for me is I always like watching tape. I couldn't find any tape on Solis or Perez, Hector Perez. So maybe I was just looking in the wrong places. But um, just a quick overview on their stats here. Ario is, is 6'2", 160. Another one of these small guys, Cielo Perez, is 5'11", 170. So these are guys that are, are young, and they are raw, and they really need to put on weight to maintain any starter's workload, in my opinion. Even though um, I think one of them actually had a pretty good sample size. Looking at my notes, yeah, I don't Cino, Cino Oh, Cino Perez actually has a good sample That's size. That's it, yeah. He's got a good sample size. The other interesting thing with Solis, too, I don't, I can't dig into the game log here. I didn't have the initiative to, at least. He threw almost eight innings in one start, and I don't think he got past five in any other start. And he gave up nine hits and two walks in that game. I was looking just quickly on the, on the game log, MILB.com. That was really interesting to me, because he doesn't seem like a guy who has the body to be able to incur that kind of workload this early in his career. I wasn't sure if that was just a really low pitch count game where he just pounded the zone, but seven and two thirds innings at this age, and I know I'm sure it was a low level, just seems so odd to me that they would run him out there for that long. I wonder if it's just them forgetting he was like on the mound. I don't really know, but uh, that was interesting to me with with Solis there. I can't really say too much about him just because I, I don't have too much tape on him. Um, but again, he's small, and I think he's 25% K rate. It's interesting. He had 60 innings too. I mean, there might be something there. Hector Perez yeah. had 90 innings, 90 innings at high high A. K rate was around 26%. The big thing with him was that the walk rate was 17%. Um, and Cielo Perez is a lefty, again another small guy, 5'11", 170. He got all the way up to Double A. They moved him pretty pretty quick, but the strikeouts just really don't seem to be there in my perspective. And um, I'm not really sure what it ends up being. The slider to me looked a little short, almost like a cutter, not too much depth, but. He seems like he pounds the zone, and I know there's value in that. So uh, um, feel free to correct me on any of this, Ralph. I can't say I know these three guys too, too well, but uh, I'm interested in your thoughts. Yeah, well, Solis is one of these guys that I think you hear from scouts uh, and from a lot of these publications like Baseball America, et cetera, that really is uh, a riser and a potential breakout going into this year. Had good numbers, only 17 years, you know, was only 17 years older in the season than yeah, one of these really young Latin kids. But he started in the Dominican Summer League and they moved him stateside and he made his GCL debut. So that says a lot that they were confident enough that he could come stateside at such a young age as a pitcher, 
Um, you know, he has a few different pitches. Uh, from what I've read, he has, you know, a, a sort of a low 90s two-seam fastball with some nice run. Uh, he's, he's, he's got a changeup uh, and uh, with some nice fade uh, as well as a curveball. So sort of, you know, your prototypical three-pitch mix. Uh, the fact that he has that already, he's able to throw all of them for strikes reportedly. That sounds really good. And, and, I, and he's one of these guys that are going to take a leap of faith in terms of ranking him because the reports are so good and um, you know people have sp- spoke so glowingly about him and the numbers back it up. So there's no reason not to. Um, you know, Hector Perez is one of these guys that I think ultimately is probably going to be more of a bullpen guy than anything else. I mean, if you look at the numbers, you know, he had an awful whip and uh, it's because, you know, he walks so many batters and it's, 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 it's uh, a style that sort of, borders on sort of, um, out of control and, and nasty. Um, but I think it could play out of the bullpen more so than as a starter. And then Ciano Perez, I think is just sort of, uh, your classic boring left-hander. You know, I think it can just be either a back end of the rotation innings eater, uh, or sort of a long relief guy. But I think both of the Perez's are, uh, bullpen guys. Uh, do you agree with that Lance? Yeah, I think at the end of the day they are, and I think that's even a matter of if they can get to the bullpen. I don't. I mean, I wouldn't be stunned if two or three of these guys just kind of never make it, sure. um, or really just struggle when they they put on weight and they have to figure out starters' workload, et cetera. Because that's another thing too that I don't think a lot of people realize. Like one sixty small, one seventy is is small. Like I, I'm I'm six four and I'm like one eighty five and I'm I'm thin, Ralph. Like I'm a thin kid. I'm not built, et cetera. I'm not a projectable frame. You know what I mean? But. I mean, for them to be able to grind out at, and at least, I mean, even throw like 70 innings in like a spar pitch role, like they got to put on like 20 pounds. Like that's legitimate. And I mean, that's probably a matter of them just, you know, going through the motions of a major league season, et cetera, getting better nutrition. Uh, I'm sure there's dietitians in the minor leagues for the Astros. They're pretty up on a lot of development that's going on. So I wouldn't be stunned there. But uh, what I agree with you, I think at the end of the day, these guys are relievers overall. Um, Jonathan Aru's is a shortstop. He was the individual who was banned for stimulants, Ralph, from what yes. I saw. So they got a couple guys in here that were knocked for for some illegal substances. Um, another guy that I'd probably group in with uh, Gilberto Cicilino, or however you say his name, and Freudus Nova. Um, I don't like Aruz as much as I like the other two, if I was to compare the two. I think he's got a ton of extra motion in his swing, yeah. personally, that they could really probably iron out. And they probably will iron out. Um but I think the approach is interesting with him. He's a lefty, a little bit of an open stance, um, 13% walk rate and 100, 149 plate appearances. So the K rate was high. I mean, small sample, et cetera, but that's what we have to kind of work with on him. I'm not sure if you have too much thoughts, but I, I do want to talk a little bit about Corbin Martin, Ralph, who's the individual I said I probably have around seven on this list. I, I kind of just like him from a floor standpoint. I think that it's a, it's a college arm. I think a lot of people are going to knock him because he's 22. He came out of A&M and he's in low ball, et cetera, whatever. But and I can I, I understand that on the souring from him side. He's a little bit lower three-fourths in his arm slot. I think the mechanics are pretty clean. They're simple. They're workable. I like this. I think that the ceiling is probably like a number four-ish. I don't really think there's much more than that there. I think it's a good four, though. And I think that if at the end of the day you could throw under 40 innings at major level, there's value in that, especially on the back end of a list like this. So that's kind of why I would shoot him up. Um, I was interested in the break on his curve, honestly, just because I read some reports that, that it was – a pretty good pitch and that he mixes it pretty well but i i didn't see that with it but the 35 percent k rate in low a small sample whatever um is interesting to me because i didn't see too much raving about the curveball and then you see a strike array with that i can't imagine he was sitting on his fastball that much so 
I think there might be something there with pitch mix, etc. And I'd like to see him jump up, probably get to double A this year. And I'd be interested in him overall. And I think that that's probably my sleeper on this list is just to be a regular arm, which I think can be undervalued is, is Martin for me. So Aru's and Martin, Ralph, uh, very, very different players, different position, etc. But um, do you kind of see what I see with Aru's there on, on too much motion and not really being as comparable to Nova and, and Cicilino? Yeah, no, I don't think he's, he's comparable to Nova or Cicilino. But I do think that sort of, you know, what would happen with him is, is that he turns into like a 260, 20 homer hitter in the middle infield. You know, that's what your hope is. Uh, there is, but I, I mean, I don't know if he gets there, but I think ultimately, yeah. you know, if, if he does, that's the kind of player that he could be. I do think there's sure. some power there. Uh, he's got some loft to his swing. He does have a relatively quick bat has the open stance. Um, but for the most part, he's pretty noisy and I don't think he, he repeats the swing very well either. I mean, you know, he's got the bat in his shoulder, but he's still sort of, you know, Gary Sheffield and all over the place. Like, you know, <laughs> he drank way too it's much funky. Mountain Dew. Um, he's, you know, but, uh, he's one of these guys that was relatively heavily, heavily, um, ranked and rated when he signed with the Phillies, uh, and then came over in that Ken Giles deal. So he was, you know, sort of the, the forgotten piece. Um, as for mm-hmm. Corbin Martin, maybe I underrated him a little bit. I guess I, I, I had to take the numbers with a grain of salt because sure. it was low A and he's 22 and he's an advanced college guy. I like what I see. Uh, and he doesn't remind me. He kind of reminds me a little bit of like Corbin Burns, where he's like a second round college starter. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, like underrated, that. you know, similar sort of right handed overhand, uh, you know, sort of straight on with a plate uh, mechanics. There's just a lot that's sort of similar. The two of them. Yeah, yeah, very polished, everything about him. Um, I would be shocked if I wasn't wrong about him. Uh, I, I bet you I, I probably should have rated him at least two spots higher over Arias and the two Perez's. I'll give you that. I'm not going to okay, rank him over Solis, Celestino, or Nova, uh, but I think a case could be made that he could be as high as six on this list. If you really were sick of David Paulino. So yeah, I think that, uh, I think that Martin Martin's a good one. I just, I hadn't watched as much of him as other guys. Um, you know, I guess the, before, before the trade, the guy that I really buried on this was Colin Moran, where I had him down at 16, but I just, I yeah. do not believe, I know he added loft to the swing. I know everyone thinks he's going to have average power. Ton, a ton of changes. Yeah. I just, yeah. I just, I just don't buy it. I don't buy it. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, I was watching a bit of his. I don't think we'll probably we'll probably save him for the Pirates list. Maybe talk about them a little bit. But Jason Martin and Colin Moran, you had a fifteen sixteen bolt trade to the Pirates. Martin has a really interesting leg kick. If you pop on some YouTube video of him, it's almost circular and mm. how he comes through with his lower half, which I can't say I've seen too too much. I think there was another player. I want to say in the Rocky system who I noticed this with, where it was just a really really heavy leg kick and it came all the way up and around, and it was it was probably too long for what it did ultimately, in my opinion. And, was it uh, Hampson? That's what I. It might have been. I don't know. For I'm some try, reason, that's stuck like in it my was mind. Like, but maybe I'm wrong. I, maybe it was on the Walden show. Maybe it was. Was it Rogers? Was it Jake, Jake Rogers, the catcher? He had it early in his yeah, career. He did. Maybe. Is yeah, what I'm I think it was of. when he was Where at it's just Tulane. A funky leg he was kick. at Tulane. Yeah, yeah, yeah that might be him. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I I don't really think I'm too high. Martin Moran, I probably would fall in line, maybe neutral with the consensus. I think it sounds like you're a little bit lower, but I don't mind a guy who's adjusted this much. He had a really heavy open stance, and it it changed a ton. But I will say that the first thing when you when you uh, YouTube Colin Moran, you get him fouling a ball off his own face, which is just unbelievable. Like I don't know how you do that, and it looked so so painful. Literally, just like inside pitch, he's got kind of a 
gold Schmidt aesthetic now where his bat's a little bit like pointed yeah the barrel's pointed at the ground yeah. behind him and it's a little bit funky and i guess he just caught a ball in his hands and it came up and hit him in the face and oh i that's that was my scouting of him was watching that oh. so i'm sure there's better articles about what exactly he did to his swing yeah, he, but uh, uh, he he had added he added some loft i mean they just uh, i think they they relaxed his hands ahead ahead of time yeah. changed the path a little bit so it was probably a lot with the with the preload but I don't know. I just guys like this that take forever that are like 25 years old mm. and, you know, we're so hyped up and he hits a triple, he hits a little bit of triple a and it's a decent sample size. Fine. But you know, he's not a third baseman. He's first base or outfield. And I think, you know, if he is outfield, he's like left field, bad defensive yeah, he's not, field, he's, yeah, he's you know, so he's really going to have to hit to get into the lineup, especially if he stay, you know, now that he's in a national league team. So it's kind of interesting. Um, I, you know, the guy that that's ahead of him, I kind of like, and it's funny because he had uh, in a small sample size in the major leagues, really nice exit velocities. And that's JD Davis. Oh. Um, uh, yeah. He mashes. I mean, he hits for some power, man. He had 26 homers, 527 slugging. Um, I think he's going to strike out in the majors, but I do think that he could find a niche as like a second division regular. Eventually he's 24 now. He's got a couple of years to get a job, but I think it could be kind of interesting. He could stick at third. He's got a good arm. Um, I don't know how much you yeah, watched. It. I agree with you. Yeah, I did. I watched a little bit. And the thing that stood out to me is that I watched some 2015 tape at him. And now just cause I know he's been around for a bit and very, very little difference. This is a kid who came up in the minor leagues and, and was polished from the start. And that's why you see the string of 20 home run seasons through f- 2015. I think three years in the minors, he had 26, then 23, then 21 home runs. And it kind of just corralled like that. But it, it's a guy who was polished from the start. And to some extent, it could be to his detriment when you're trying to figure out the future value of him. It's because you see 26 and 23 and 21 and you're like, he's getting higher up and the power's kind of going away. But yeah, I, I, I don't mind him. Honestly, 258 ISO and 68 plate appearances. The K's were really, really high. It's not going to be a guy who's walking 10 to 15%. It's going to be like a 6% walk rate with a relatively high K rate. But I think there's some pop there. I think that he has legit major league power. I wouldn't say that it's plus power, but I would say it's, it's, average game power and i think that that could be underrated sometimes so he's another guy i'd probably jump up a bit ralph honestly with martin and davis they'd probably be in the top 10 for me but um i understand the love it's really about team construction i think i think at the end of the day too with what you're doing with your team in the dynasty league whether you want to go with a super deep flyer like one of these guys we're talking about on the latin american side who completely understandable if you see you know if you see a guy like nova get into a swing a little bit more and developing like that structure of the swing right now i could see that um if you like any of these younger pitchers too, I completely understand. But um, I kind of guess I maybe punt to the floor in, in Davis and on uh, the other individual, Corbin Martin. I like the pitcher. So uh, I'll pass it back to you, Ralph, to clean up the show here with the bottom four in your list. I'm not even going to try to prevent to, to pronounce this guy's name. I want to say it's JJ Matajevic. I yes. could be wrong on yes. that. Could be very wrong JJ Matajevic. Uh, uh, Matajevic. Joe, Joe Perez, Perez, Jorge Alcala, and Carlos Machado. Uh, your general thoughts on all of them? And we can close out the show. Yeah, um, some some uh, interesting low minors talent. Uh, JJ Matchevic was a uh, Arizona player, so he's a college guy, second round pick this year. Had uh, a sort of rough pro debut. I know he had some steals and some homers, but slash line is not very good. I think he's better than that. I think he could be a guy that jumps out of the back of this list or gets completely gobbled up by it and forget forgotten about. But he is sort of interesting. Uh, Joe Perez is a guy that was a two-way player and many considered to be a potential first-round talent. He had Tommy John surgery. Um, so 
I don't know. looks like he's going to stick at third base, but uh, he did not play. So we don't know what we're going to get with him. I was very conservative in ranking him because of that, but uh, he could be another guy that sort of pops up Alcala. I know some people love, um, but you know, he's a, a righty has a big fastball, decent changeup uh, slider. I think he's probably another guy that could be uh, relief risk. And, you know, he did it as a 22 year old in high a, so big deal. Carlos Machado is a uh, teenager, you know, good bat um, was in rookie ball. The numbers are pretty good, but uh, you know, another guy that uh, I think is probably a few years away from us really knowing who he is. Uh, but yeah, they sort of have a lot of these like lottery tickets after like the top five, I feel top six, you know, um, even after Buka- Bukowskis really, maybe the top four, I think you have top four talents and then sort of everybody else on this list. I agree with you. Yeah, I think that you, you, it is definitely top heavy as we're talking with Whitley and with um, with Tucker there at the top. And even Alvarez, I'd consider in that upper tier. Not the same as Whitley and, and Tucker, but he's in there. He's top 100. He's very relevant. But yeah, upside on these guys here. Interesting with the, the Hami John on, on Gio Perez. Um, I don't know which arm that's on, but there's a couple other guys who've gone through that. I think Miguel Sano actually went through that. Um, Alex Kirillov, too, of the, of the Twins is another guy, position player who's going through Tommy John. So I think that's an interesting, interesting thing to keep an eye on from the developmental side as to how it affects him overall. But uh, other than that, Ralph, uh, we, we took a pretty good chunk of time on this list. I'm kind of surprised. I thought we were going to kind of stagnate with it. I think we, we, we mustered around the top talent, which I think is completely fine because they're relevant. And, you know, I like talking about the upper echelon guys, especially when there isn't too, too much yes. talent laid on the lists here. So I, I felt like we did, we dug into Tucker and Whitley very nicely and, I, I I like how this came out. I'm surprised. Proud of us for getting through this list. It was a good list. Yeah, it was a good list. It, it's uh, I think the time looks longer than it was because we had sort of a, a long pre-show conversation. But That's a good uh, point. yeah, all in all, no good stuff. Uh, another great week here on the Rasball Prospect Podcast. We're gonna wrap this up. I am Ralph Lifshitz. You can find me on Twitter at Prospect Jesus. Uh, doing uh, all my my prospect write-ups are gonna be ramping up to probably two a week. Coming up, doing the the show with Gray as well. We have some some more lists to go through, uh, and I'll kick it back to my main man Lance. Yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter at, at Lance Brosdow, B R O Z D O W S. The first seven letters of my last name, not Bro Shits, un- unfortunately, even though <laughs> I know that that's been kicking around. But uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter. That's usually where I push a lot of my stuff. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. As always, um, feel free to give us a review or comment. We always like answering comments and. And uh, next week, I think we're shooting for the Indians and the Royals. We're going to combo that Ugh. up. Probably really only t- <laughs> probably only really talk about the top ten, but uh, on each list respectively. I like Nick Prado a lot, though. So I do too. You're going to hear some love from me on him. So that'll be fun. And Mejia. Uh, um, and Tristan McKenzie. Yeah, and McKenzie. Yeah. So there's top yeah, talent again. There's so. some good t- players. We'll probably talk about ten players in total. <laughs> yeah, probably five and five. We'll go five and five. <laughs> All right, everybody. We hope you enjoy your weekends and, and the week coming up. And the Super Bowl, if you're listening on Saturday, throwing out some bets. Ralph, I Maybe he threw it on a bet in Vegas. I don't really know. Can't of course, confirm or deny. But of course. I hope he wins some money. So uh, go Pats. Uh, enjoy the Super Bowl, everyone. You can go Pats, I guess. Yeah, we're up in Boston. We gotta say go Pats. So uh enjoy your weekend weekend and thanks for joining us on the Rasball Prospect Podcast. White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made him 100 years ago, with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. 
White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. 